0: Revolt Black News, presented by State Farm. This week in Revolt Black News, we look at the consequences of injustice. Now, while the fight might seem crowded, the good news is there is never a maximum capacity for truth, for transparency, and you better believe for action. Now, see, while white supremacy has their knee on our necks, our Asian American allies, well, they deserve to breathe as well. Yeah, we've got a lot on our plate already with injustice, but if we're gonna eat, let's make a whole damn meal out of it. So listen, before there's a verdict and before our allies get it even worse and before our very planet's time expires, we gotta say, where's the liberty and justice for all? And we don't ask that because we're ardent supporters of the Pledge of Allegiance, but instead we ask it because Black Lives Matter should be the basis for all of our humanity. Welcome to Revolt Black News. I'm your host, Ebony K. Williams. Now today we're starting things off with the very important trial of Derek Chauvin. Now notice how I call it the trial of Derek Chauvin and not the George Floyd case. Well that's because Brother Floyd is not the one on trial. No, instead... We know that Floyd tragically and heartbreakingly lost his life due to the former Minneapolis cop's decision to kneel on his neck for 8 minutes and 46 seconds, thereby taking George Floyd's life. So consequently, it is Derek Chauvin who is on trial here. Helping me break down this entire case is a good friend of Revolt Black News and a well-known community activist sister Kimberly Latrice Jones. Also joining is a longtime friend of mine, peer mentor, attorney Chris Stewart, who represented George Floyd's family in the historic $27 million settlement. Chris, Kimberly, welcome to the show. So Chris, I wanna start with, uh, before we get to the criminal case of Derek Chauvin, what I mentioned earlier, which is the history-making $27 million civil settlement that you and your firm were very instrumental in. You're on record as saying this, Chris that this settlement provides a path forward for our clients and it ensures that George Floyd's death will result in some substantive and positive change. Now, while no amount of money will bring back George Floyd, this will certainly help make life a little bit easier in such a hard time for his family. Chris, do you see the settlement carrying over uh, into influence in the Derek Chauvin criminal case? Now, we know that two jurors have already been removed for saying that they felt that they would have bias Uh, in thinking that because the city settled for such a large amount, it's an admission of wrongdoing and thus Derek Chauvin's guilt. Uh, What's your reaction to that?
1: I don't believe so. Um, You know, I've been watching every uh, question the jurors have been asked since then. And, you know, no one is saying that it's going to play any more of a role. I think that the judge summed it up perfectly also. Look, there's nothing more that can influence a jury that they haven't already heard or seen in this entire state uh, because everything is so public. Um, We have to look at, you know, how the other cases have gone. When I settled Walter Scott, that was for a record amount. People thought it was going to influence it. That cop got 20 years. Um, Mm. Same thing with Gregory Towns. I settled that in Georgia uh, years ago. One cop got life. The other got like 10 years. So, Mm. you know, it is what it is. We can't delay the civil case um, while the criminal case is going because he's going to be found guilty.
0: Now, we are seeing, Chris, from your legal expertise, lots of uh, publicizing of the jurors that have been seated uh, uh, for this trial. On Monday, we saw a white woman in her 20s, uh, the 14th juror. uh, She was the 14th juror, rather, in, in question. We've seen what's being reported as a rather diverse juror, certainly some black jurors, some white jurors, some Hispanic jurors. Do you think that the jury composition makes a difference in the likelihood of conviction? And what do you expect this jury to do here?
1: We knew from the jump, the jury was going to be predominantly white. I mean, we're in Minnesota and they don't just get them from Minneapolis. The jurors come from everywhere. Um, But I lost, you know, I don't believe that whole, uh, that whole principle anyway, because with the Walter Scott case, the person that hung our jury in the first trial was black. Mm. So that was shocking to us that the black person on the jury went against convicting that officer. And all the white people were trying to convict him, so that that was shocking. And so I don't put my money in uh, a white person can't convict a cop who they clearly see killed somebody. Um, so I, you know you just gotta have faith in the jurors.
0: Yeah, indeed. Uh, now, Kimberly, we're less than a week away from the expected start date. We know March 29th is going to be when we hear opening arguments. Uh, you have had some of your very poignant sister videos go viral. Uh, how do you see, foresee social media setting the tone for this particular case?
2: Um, I think this is going to be an extremely high profile case. I think we're looking at something that's going to be Followed as heavily as like the OJ trial was followed. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the entire nation is gonna be watching. I think people are looking for this case to be a benchmark uh, for cases moving forward. I think it, it was the case that rocked the world. I mean, you book, bookend it with the Richard Brooks case that we have here in Georgia, and you're talking about the really the root of the civil unrest of 2020. And I think as the weather gets warmer, as more people are getting vaccinated, as we are becoming more open um, in terms of, of being able to of freedoms um, outside of COVID, I think that they had be should be very careful about the decisions that get made on this case because I would not be surprised if people who are monitoring so close don't get the conviction that they're looking for that they're going to take back to the streets. Uh,
0: if this case does not result in the justice that the culture and community and really the world are demanding, what kind of backlash and social media uh, and and really activist kind of grassroots reaction do you expect?
2: Um, I definitely expect this to be another freedom summer. I definitely expect people to be engaged, um, civilly engaged in what's going on, particularly as it relates to this case. So I think that if it doesn't get the result that it needs, people are going to go back to the streets. People are going to put pressure on their state legislators to pass some type of legislation. We need to demilitarize the police. We need to be writing legislation um, that's going to assist with eliminating these cases. We need to get rid of qualified immunity. We need better training for our police officers. It takes you longer to get a, to get a cosmetology license than it does Mm -hmm. to become a police officer. And so I think that Part of what we have to still be doing um, is making sure that we're still working towards the bigger goals that are necessary to stop us from having these cases at all. That is going to be the only thing that is going to solve the people if this case doesn't go the way that it definitely should go.
0: Absolutely. To that point, Chris, uh, Kimberly's making excellent points about the legislative changes that we need to see uh, with or without a conviction, really. These changes need to be made regardless. Uh, we know that several of them, particularly the qualified immunity piece, um, the comprehensive database for where officers with uh, records of wrongdoing and misconduct can at least be centralized so folks on jurisdiction hop, you kill some person in Florida and now you're going to get a new job in Ohio, how to stop that kind of shit. Um, is the the... Um, is the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. It's not perfect. Uh, it's not everything that we want, but it's a lot of the things that get us towards the start uh, of reforming what policing looks like in America. Chris, what's your take on the act? And do you see this trial being closely correlated with the, the kind of lobbying effort to make sure that it's passed?
1: I mean, we've been fighting so hard to try and get that thing passed. We've talked on shows. We've appeared on TV. We're Keep talking about it, but um, it's the same thing, man. That's why we always end up back in this situation. It's gonna boil down to politics and yeah. it's gonna get to the Senate and it's gonna be some BS with you know Republicans versus Democrats. If everybody actually believed in better policing, then that bill would pass because the policies in there not only protect the community, they make policing better. I've got good friends they who do. are cops and they're good dudes who love the hood. They love their community but then there's some that don't deserve to be a police officer and never should have been one. Um, and, you know, it's not about any of that. It's about politics.
0: I hear you. Why do you think that is such a, a difficult argument, Chris, for people to wrap their heads around? Because I agree with you. I've been saying that for for years on The Breakfast Club as well, uh, that these reforms, many of them, they don't just make the community safer. They actually make officers safer because if there's an expectation of accountability, um, that can just help everybody sleep better at night. Why, why do you think that... Uh, police unions and and other law enforcement uh agencies don't cooperate with that kind of reform for that reason,
1: yeah because it's more about power um you know people who hmm. who are in positions of power keeping that power, not the beat officer on the street, but you know people higher up in the food chain and you know it, they've allowed this propaganda or this belief which everybody now a lot of people have embraced, is that you can't fight for civil rights and Want better policing? You have to pick either one. I can fight for black people who are killed by police officers, and I'll I can also acknowledge the two police officers, for instance, who saved my life years ago. So mm-hmm. I, I I can't uh, I can't acknowledge one without acknowledging that policing needs reform and change, and it can be better. Um, and there's very easy ways to do it, but you know, power does not concede easily. Mm.
0: It never does. It never does. Kimberly, your last take on what you want the culture to really be paying attention to and tuned in on as we watch the trial of Derek Chauvin and ultimately the verdict.
2: Um, I think that one of the things that we definitely have to pay attention to is what laws they utilize to try this case. Paying attention to the way in which uh, judges um, prosecute, you know, judges sit on these benches and handle these cases. A lot of times we get really excited about federal elections and we're not paying attention Mm -hmm. to the state elections. I'm looking at, you know, a case here in Georgia, the Jamarian Robinson case that just lost his civil case. That judge has been sitting on the bench and was appointed by Bush, and yet no one has paid attention to his track record, Um, no one has paid attention to how he got to that decision, and no one has paid attention to his views and how his own implicit bias has affected the cases that he's handling. And so, who are the judges? Who are the prosecutors? Who are the DAs? Um, okay. What are the laws? And we need to go ahead and get them changed. You have way more power at your state legislature than you do at the federal level, and you need we need to start applying pressure when we're monitoring these cases and seeing who's involved.
0: Hmm. Kimberly Jones, Attorney Christopher Stewart, thank you both so much for all the incredible work you're doing in your respective verticals in the culture and in the community. We appreciate your time. Also, there's a lot more to talk about as this case continues, so we hope to have you back on. Now, we're gonna take a quick break, step away for a minute, but when we return, we've got Brandon Trutling who's joining us for this week's headlines. We've got much more Revolt Black News after this.
3: it's Brandon Trutling here back on Revolt Black News, and these are this week's headlines. We start with a mass shooting in Boulder, Colorado that has left 10 people dead, including one police officer. The suspect, 21-year-old Ahmad Alisa, is being charged with 10 counts of first-degree murder, and law enforcement say he used an AR-15 assault pistol. Let's take a look.
4: At approximately 2.40 p.m. on Monday, March 22nd, officers were dispatched to King Supers on Table Mesa Drive. Officers arrived on the scene within minutes and immediately entered the store and engaged the suspect. There was an ex- exchange of gunfire, which such best was shot. No other officers were injured. The suspect was taken into
3: custody at 3.28 p.m. And here's President Biden's response and call to action. I don't need to wait another minute, let alone an hour, to take common sense steps that will save the lives in the future and to urge my colleagues in the House and Senate to act. We can ban assault weapons and high-capacity magazines in this country once again. I got that done when I was a senator. It passed, it was law for the longest time and it brought down these mass killings. Vice President Harris chimed in too, asking Congress to pass legislation to ban assault weapons. Let's take a look.
5: I actually thought that Sandy Hook would have been the thing that moved Congress. How — when 26- and 7-year-old babies were slaughtered, and they did not act. And they did not act. It is time for Congress to act. And stop with the false choices. This is not about getting rid of the Second Amendment. It's simply about saying we need reasonable gun safety laws. There is no reason why we have assault weapons on the streets of a civil society. They are weapons of war. They are designed to kill a lot of people quickly. Let us all agree agree that we need background checks, but the point here is Congress needs to act.
3: And just days after the shooting in Boulder, Colorado, an armed man in Atlanta was seen entering a restroom in a public supermarket. Police soon detained the man, identified as 22-year-old Rico Marley. Marley remains in custody and is being charged with reckless conduct. In international news, today is Najir's third and final day of statewide mourning coming on the heels of Sunday's mass shooting that left 137 people dead. Reports detail that militant gunmen, who are believed to be jihadi, rode motorbikes and attacked two villages on the border of Mali, as tensions continue between rival farming and herding communities. The tragic shooting also took place on the same day that Niger declared its new president, Mohammed Bazoum, faces a large Islamic insurgency from nearby Mali. And back here in the States, Evanston, Illinois becomes the first U.S. city to offer black residents reparations. Evanston will offer a first round of $25,000 payments to 16 qualifying households for home repairs, down payments, or mortgage payments. Residents who qualify must either have lived in or been a direct descendant of a black person who lived in Evanston between 1919 to 1969, or that person's direct descendant who suffer discrimination in housing because of city ordinances, policies, or practices. And on the heels of Congress's COVID-19 relief bill, FEMA will be able to reimburse eligible families who lost a loved one coronavirus up to $7,000 in funeral expenses. Guidelines are still being rolled out, but funds will go towards deaths that occurred after January 20th, 2020. A FEMA toll-free number is expected for assistance sometime in April. And earlier this week, President Biden extended the Affordable Care Act special enrollment period from May 15th to August 15th. Let's take a look. We've opened healthcare.gov for special enrollments on February the 15th. In the first two weeks alone, more than 200,000 Americans gained coverage. Today, I'm pleased to announce we've extended that period to run through August the 15th. And lastly, President Biden and First Lady Dr. Jill Biden hosted members of the U.S. national soccer team to honor Equal Pay Day. Here's soccer star Margaret Midge Purse, who delivered some remarks.
5: I've spoken about equal pay in formal settings such as this and in informal exchanges. Often, I'm resisted with declarations like there just isn't enough interest in women's sports. My response is always this. You would never expect a flower to bloom without water but women in sport who have been denied water, sunlight, and soil are somehow expected to blossom. Invest in women, then let's talk again when you see the return.
3: That's it for this week's headlines, but before we had to break, since we're on the subject of sports and considering that it's Women's History Month, we're gonna take a look at a special piece highlighting black female pioneers in sports who have paved the way in areas so many of us are unfamiliar with. In doing so, we've enlisted the help of Alexis Feaster, who's been all about the work herself. Alexis is the founder and chief impact officer of the Kinship Advisors, and previously worked with the NBA to ensure that all players had the -the off-the-court support they needed to be civically engaged, financially educated, and well-equipped to transition into businesses and the life that they've dreamed of after basketball. Let's take a look.
5: Thanks for that, Brandon. What's up, Revolt? Now, usually when Black women in sports are spotlighted, you often hear the same names. But today, we're gonna switch things up a bit and shine a light on the Black women in sports who you ought to know. And to do that, I'm gonna use their own words for this message. A lot of people notice when you succeed, but they don't see what it takes to get there. I felt like I belonged everywhere that I was because I told myself daily in the mirror that I did belong everywhere that I was. It's really important right now to be a good representative, What I didn't have growing up. I didn't have anyone that looked anything like me working. To be able to see that, I think that's big. It's not necessarily how to hit an outside pitch. It's more so they made me feel like I could walk on water, run through brick walls. A champion is someone who does not settle for that day's practice, that day's competition, that day's performance. They are always striving to be better. They don't live in the past. I'm just thankful that I can conquer this career, conquer this promotion here amongst people that are very familiar with me, that believe in me, and I've done that since day one. This moment is bigger than a personal accomplishment. It is an accomplishment for all women, for my community, and for my culture.
6: everybody. It's your girl, Rochelle Ritchie, back on Revolt Black News. And I'm here to have a very important conversation on gun control, especially in the wake of the mass shootings across Boulder and Atlanta. We have to not only examine these specific tragedies, but address the larger impact and possibilities of legislation. So joining me for some much needed insight is Atlanta City Councilman Antonio Brown. So thank you for joining us, Councilman Brown, here on Revolt Black News. Let's start with a developing story right out of your district, where a man uh, walked into a Publix with a gun. The store manager called police, and they later found that he had six guns on him, including body armor. Can you give us any updates on that story today?
7: Yeah, so the gentleman was apprehended. Um, he he had approximately six guns on him, which included a, a shotgun, and four handguns and uh, an automatic gun. Um, and, and unfortunately, he also had a, a, a gun license, uh, uh, an ability to be able to uh, carry a, a weapon or weapons. He has been charged for uh, five felony charges um, of attempted um, to, I guess, uh, uh, create misconduct of some sort. Um, but, you know, it's just a prime example of why we need common sense gun reform in this country that deters something like this from continuing to happen, especially at the rise of the social justice movement.
6: Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because we know that uh, President Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, uh, Vice President Kamala Harris, have mentioned and pushed forward uh, gun legislation that would ban assault weapons. And earlier in the show, Ebony was speaking with Kimberly Latrice Jones, who is a community activist and leader who I know you are familiar with. And she was saying uh, that, you know, if we want to get any sort of work done, it has to start on the state level when it comes to gun reform. What are your thoughts on that?
7: Well, I agree with Kimberly that when we're speaking specifically to statewide reform, it does have to happen at the state level. But I do think local municipalities, and like myself as a city council member, you can institute common sense gun reform within your municipality, like some of those things are instituting a buyback program. You know, Australia, they recently spent $500 million and bought back over 600,000 guns, right? Just even doing a fraction of that could, you know, truly affect great change in these communities, especially low income communities, where you're really seeing the grunt of a lot of the violence and crime that's occurring um, in these communities. Limiting the number of guns people can buy at one time that can be done at the state level. You know, creating an accountability program for gun dealers right, strengthening background checks. There's no waiting period.
6: Yeah, you know, and it's interesting because I was looking at some of the stats. I'm just gonna look at my notes here really quickly. And it's showed that in Atlanta alone, shootings were up uh, 34% in 2020. Um, And then when you think about the number of people that have died from gun violence, it was 41,500. 23,000 of those were by suicide, so that should be uh, made very clear.
7: You touched on something that I think is equally important in this conversation. If we are not reporting on mental health and folks have the ability to go through an instant background check without a full mental evaluation and be able to acquire a gun and kill themselves, that's a problem that we need to really look into and address. And another thing that I think is just equally important, we have to start having a very real conversation around generational poverty. This is a side effect of that, and that's not gonna change. You can, ref- you can put in place gun reform, but the reality is folks that wanna access a gun, is gonna, they're gonna access a gun. We may be able to limit that, But the reality is, if we don't start addressing the root cause that is driving the crime across this nation, which is a result of generational poverty, we're going to find ourselves continuing to repeat this cycle with crime continuing to rise.
6: Georgia is an open carry state. Um, Do you think you're going to see more people starting to call and and report that they see someone with a gun, which could lead to a little bit of chaos even though the person may uh, have a license to open carry and is just you know, following the laws of the land. Um, but a lot of people are very nervous right now. I mean, especially when you look at what's happened in just the last week. Um, do you think we, we're going to see more of those of people reporting that they're seeing individuals with guns and it doesn't happen to be a, a serious situation?
7: Yeah, I say it's a problem because, you know, you you have to reflect back on this past year around the social justice movement and unarmed black men and and women being killed in this country, you know, on, on a repetitive basis. Right. There is a divide between the people and the police and people that feel protected and those that don't feel protected. And what do you do? When crime is on the rise and you don't feel protected, you go and get a gun license, if you can, and you, you carry a weapon to protect yourself. It's no different than when I see, you know, when I go to some of these marches and I see some of the new Black Panther movement folks that have four and five guns on them. The only difference is, is they're marching down the street as opposed to walking into a Publix.
6: What are some action steps that people can actually take when it comes to gun reform and protecting themselves um, in your community and across this country?
7: In Atlanta, I mean, we ha- cr- crime is happening on a consistent basis. Homicides are happening on a consistent basis. So if you feel the necessity to protect yourself in this city, get a gun license. Do it the legal way going through some gun classes. I think if you're truly in a position to protect yourself, purchasing one gun or one handgun, There, I don't think that it's a necessity to have six guns and carrying them around in any given situation, whether it's legal or not. So these are some of the things I think are appropriate for folks to consider when really making a decision on how to protect themselves in an environment and condition in which we're living in today.
6: Councilman Brown, thank you so much for joining me in this really important conversation. We definitely appreciate your time.
7: Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure and, and, and thank you for everything.
6: All right, coming up, Dustin Ross and Bex Francois joined for this week's Black Excellence in Entertainment. More Revolt Black News right after this.
8: What's going on, y'all? It's Dustin Ross here hosting this week's Black Excellence in Entertainment. And joining me in this celebration is someone who is very, very special. Now, you guys might know her from the hit podcast, The Black Girl Podcast. Welcome to the show, Bex Francois. Hey, Bex.
9: Hi, how's everybody doing? (laughs) Thank you so much for having me Pretty good, pretty good. Thank you.
8: All right, now let's get started with Jamie Foxx and the long-anticipated biopic, Tyson which for years was expected to hit the big screen, but will now actually be a limited series for TV. The project, which is yet to find a network home, is executive produced by Mike Tyson, his wife, Kiki, Antoine Fuqua, and Martin Scorsese. Now, as we know, it was originally going to be a feature film, which likely would have been a two hour slice of life, but now it will be a story told over several episodes for several hours. So, Bex, are we here for the extra, extra hours of a Jamie Foxx portrayal?
9: absolutely here for it. Jamie Foxx is an incredible storyteller, whether he is in front of the camera or not. He has yes. a dream team backing him. Martin Scorsese, Antoine Foucault, Mike Tyson himself as uh, producers on the uh, film now turn limited series. This is this is a, a default win for the team. Um, and to transfer from an actual movie to a, a, a limited series, we're going to get a lot more storytelling from this actual um. um Incredible life.
8: Now, over to some more exciting film news. Issa Rae, our girl, has inked an eight figure film and television deal with Warner Media. Issa signed a five year overall deal with her media label Hooray, right? Which gives HBO, mm-hmm. HBO Max, and Warner Brothers TV exclusive rights to her work in TV. Now, the deal also includes a first look film deal, and the comedian's hit show Insecure. The and final season with HBO earlier this year. But it looks like that won't be the last of her that we're going to see with the network. So congrats to Issa. This Mm -hmm. is really exciting, right, Bex?
9: All the way. All the way. Everyone keeps asking, why is Insecure coming to an end? Can't believe Issa is doing this to us. But it's because the woman's busy. The woman has been... Uh, uh, part of the announcements for the past year and a half of inking all of these deals in entertainment across the board, music, film, limited series, television. She's busy and she is she is on her streak right now. She is on her A game right now and I can't wait to see more from her. Um, it's, it's incredible because we are the generation that has seen Issa from Awkward Black Girl on the internet when, you know, limited series and people doing their own thing online kind of first started. And we've started, seen yes. her blossom and where it all started. And we've seen her bloom and blossom into like a heavy hitter in Hollywood.
8: Yeah. Issa is a, a masterclass in how to do the damn thing. She has oh, yeah. been, uh, the oh, most yeah. gracious, uh, person in the world to, all of her contemporaries, all of her industry peers. Mm -hmm. She's provided opportunities for even me. I was able to guest on season two of Insecure, Mm -hmm. um, dream opportunity Mm -hmm. for me. Would love to go back, Issa. Um, And so, you know, hey, we'll see what happens (laughs) next. Um, In more TV news, the late John Singleton's hit show, Snowfall, has gotten its fifth season renewal at FX. Huge, exciting news. Uh, The hit (laughs) show stars Damson Idris, right? Right, Vex? And it actually follows the rise of the crack epidemic in the 1990s throughout. Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Now, we're definitely Mm -hmm. excited. Are you up to date on season Mm -hmm. four, which is currently six episodes in?
9: I am up today on season four. I am a latecomer to the series. And I am, I've been yeah. cursing myself nonstop as to why it took me so long to start this show. I am enamored with Dan Simms' <laughs> performance. But not until I moved to LA and seeing the palm trees and the ambiance and being Limerick Park <laughs> and Compton myself and like, all right, let me really see like yeah. what's up with the story. And John Singleton being like, John Singleton. Um, oh my goodness. Me to the yes. I am mean, all right, it's incredible. It is a masterclass in storytelling, um, in character yeah. development, in historical context, in, um, actual cinematography as well. And I do want to shout out, um, Tommy Maddox, um, who actually is the yeah. cinematographer on the series.
8: Okay, Oscar-nominated actress Naomi Harris is set to star alongside Chiwetel Ejiofor in Showtime's new series, The Man Who Fell to Earth. The series was originally picked up by CBS Paramount Plus and was recently moved to the Showtime network. Now the original film starred David Bowie, but now O4 will play a new alien character who arrives on earth at a turning point in human evolution and must confront his own past to determine the future of humanity. The remake is set to hit Showtime in 2022. Bex, are you ready for a black alien story?
9: I've I've been ready in here for a black alien story. I love seeing <laughs> black stars, black narration, black storytelling in all genres of all film. Mm-hmm. You have Tell, and then you also have Naomi Harris, who I mean, stunning work in Moonlight, and also stunning work as Money Penny in 007, for those who are into like the action um, series. Um, so I yeah. th- this this film is in great hands. And one more one more note on that, you know, a lot of a lot of black kids who don't see themselves as being part of black culture and who also enjoy sci-fi or anime or um, genres that aren't typically, quote unquote, Black, they're gonna see us. They're gonna see themselves on screen now. And so I'm excited for that servicing of of us Black kids who grew up watching um, content that, you know, was kind of out of the norm.
8: Uh, One last thing, Bex, because I know you're super busy and we have to get you out of here. But uh, last Mm -hmm. but not least, this year's NAACP Image Awards are rolling out in a very different fashion. They've already yeah. announced a few non-televised winners, and it'll actually culminate this weekend with a traditional awards show telecast that will be simulcast mm-hmm. across several of Viacom's networks. Uh, President Barack Obama already took home the outstanding literary work for A Promised Land, and The Last mm-hmm. Dance won outstanding documentary television series. Now, which winners mm-hmm. so far are we excited for, and who are we rooting for on Saturday? Now, I know my answer. I'm just gonna see if yours is the same, but <laughs> who are we rooting for on Saturday?
9: <laughs> um i'm rooting for everybody black on saturday i know it's, and i know it's a black awards show it is for us by us hey, yeah. we have been killing it has been like a second black or it's like a new coming of a black renaissance um in the past like yes, three four yes. years and the amount of black art across all mediums um everybody deters the time to shine and, deter, and the time to be recognized and knowledge for all the hard work and the vulnerability it takes to create the art that we have in these past few years. So I am, for Sunday, rooting for everybody black.
8: Um, Mm -hmm. Listen, the NAACP Image Awards is one show where we don't have to worry about being let down by who wins and who loses. It's just simply a celebration of the nominated talent. It's an ultimate acknowledgement. Um, it's such a huge validation for a Black artist um, and all the challenges that we have to face just to be present in this space. So I am so mm-hmm. excited about Sunday's show. Thank you so, so much yeah. for all your help in celebrating this week's Black excellence in entertainment. We definitely, definitely have to make this happen again soon and we will.
9: We'd love to, thank you so much for having me.
8: Now, after this quick break, my girl Ebony returns for a conversation on sustainability and fashion. More Revolt Black News after this.
0: Welcome back. Now, y'all know Revolt Black News is always about the collabs. Well, Revolt and Adidas are coming together to end plastic waste because adidas has been about the environmental work to establish more sustainable approaches and y'all know the vibes when minds alike connect so i'm bringing in some very special guests now interestingly enough from the world of fashion because it's a part of the culture that many don't think of when it comes to sustainability but it's really important to ending plastic waste so joining me is deshell mckillian she's a celebrity stylist whose clients include Nicki minaj and drake She's also the founder and creative director of Gallery LA. It's a showroom that curates sustainable fashion from emerging brands worldwide. Also with us is Brandon Blackwood, a global handbag designer who sources ethical materials from around the world. Welcome to you both. Thank
10: you for, Thank you for me. having us.
0: Absolutely. Michelle. I'll start with you. Tell us a little bit about Gallery LA, how it came to fruition, and what inspired you to pursue this particular lane?
4: Yeah, so when I was working as a celebrity stylist, I was going on tour with Little Wayne and the Black Eyed Peas, and we were doing world tours, and I just began to really notice fashion's impact on people who are making the clothes, as well as our planet, going through places and seeing, like, beaches covered with lots of trash. A lot of that trash is, like, you can see the clothing, the shoes just, like, strung along, and... As a stylist, I know that when you put something on a celebrity, people just buy it because it's on a celebrity, and that really contributes to fashion's negative impact. So I wanted to just do things more responsible, so I started researching sustainable brands, and I felt like they weren't the first ones to pop up on a Google search. It was actually really hard to find brands that weren't just yoga or DIY or the traditional, like, kind of granola eco-friendly image things that i would actually wear myself put on my celebrity clients and that's how gallery l.a was born i found all these incredible designers all around the world i started to decode their sustainable messages and i felt like if i was having a hard of a time like women like me were as well and in 2015 I launched the Gallery LA platform. We started off as a blog to highlight sustainable brands, just so people began to become introduced and then built a lot of traction and launched the e-commerce store a year later. Yeah.
0: Good, good. We love to hear that. Now, Brandon, you have definitely traveled the world to source out really the most ethical materials. Why did that become important to you? And why is it so important that you implement the use of things like vegan leather in your handbags?
10: I think just as a consumer, we're constantly kind of programmed to just like buy, buy, buy very quickly without thought. And I didn't want to go into making my line without, you know, having a sort of kind of foundation and the foundation for us was definitely like sustainability. And I felt like with the brand, we had to sort of find a way to make things that were trendy and that catch on and like, you know, things that would overall make our brand grow. But at the same time do it in like a very like responsible way so we've like done everything from you know looking into like peanut text things like that like pineapple leather algae leather things like that just trying to like forward the brand so yeah
0: well that sounds delicious actually um let me ask you this when people think about sustainability uh a lot of folks start thinking uh it's pretty expensive right and they get kind of concerned about the affordability of it uh, I know that you guys have to take that stuff in concern with uh, what you're doing, but Brandon, how do you address the affordability issue with also the fact that consumers are conscious now and they really do want to be able to do good while looking good. How do you reconcile the affordability and the conscious level of, for consumers?
10: I honestly think that whole kind of correlation is such like a myth. You can be sustainable while keeping the price points low with us. We do like a lot of high volume sales, like our, normal drops normally selling like within five seven minutes we're selling like thousands of units but to keep it you know responsible it for us we focus more on like the quantities that we're making we don't want to ever overmake things that are going to end up you know in a third party kind of store like a marshall's or something we always make it to like meet our consumers like demand so that for us that's like kind of what we do i understand that you know even the most responsible materials may end up as waste one day. So I think the focus for us is making sure that we are supplying the perfect amount of items for our demand, but also using materials that will degrade like way quicker than something that's gonna take like, you know, 100, 700 years,
0: so. That makes a lot of sense. And and the long-term effect of that, I mean, it's just unimaginable, my goodness. Um, Brandon and Michelle, uh, I'll start with you though, Brandon. In closing, So what are some things, some tips, practical things we can each do in our daily lives to make sure that we are combating the waste, uh, the plastic waste situation?
10: I mean, there's so many different things you can do. I know for one, just like it seems so simple, but a reusable water bottle, just using one really kills like the amount of waste you're gonna be producing from like always having multiple. It's something super easy, super like, you know, very easy to like adapt to your daily life. And I think just something as simple as that can really help.
0: Indeed. Um, DeShel, do you have some tips for us? Yes, the straws. I mean, again,
4: like going through that drive through, to say no, nope, I will like use my own glass straw. I mean, it's just, again, like so simple, but it really adds up. Like when I'm
0: walking along the beach, that's all I see is straws. And so, um, yeah, that's a simple tip. Another one my dentist told me about, of course, is just having like a sustainable toothbrush just because A, it's better for your dental hygiene and B, you're literally not throwing away plastic toothbrushes month after month after month. Um, so that's, a, that's a, a good one as well. Uh, any other tips for us before we go?
10: I would say Also just like using matches instead of a lighter. Think of how many lighters you just use and then it becomes a whole thing. That's way more waste. A match, simple cardboard, easy to use, so.
3: Oh,
4: bring your own reusable bags to the grocery store. Um, that is huge, you know, like they're, they're still giving our groceries in plastic.
0: So just bringing your own, eliminating that plastic waste as well. Michelle, Brandon, thank you both so much for joining and for really kind of highlighting the importance of this sustainability issue, particularly in the world of fashion. We appreciate your time. And thank you for all the work that you're doing. We also want to thank Adidas for partnering with Revolt to spotlight the issue and give a special shout out to their Stan Smith collection because it uses all recycled materials. Also be sure to check out their Parley collection because it's all products created from upcycled marine plastic waste in lieu of virgin plastic. And you can visit adidas.com us Parley to browse all their amazing sportswear that's used from Parley Ocean Plastic. Now, aside from this dope conversation, DeShell actually let our crew stop by for a special tour of her showroom. Let's check it out.
4: I'm Deschelle McKillian. I'm the founder of Gallery LA. Welcome to our showroom. Come on in. At Gallery LA, we curate all sustainable brands to just make it really easy to shop your values. I really love Bracemaid and Conrado, both of these brands. Um, use dead stock fabrics, which are normally discarded from extra surplus from other brands. And these brands take the opportunity to create new pieces out of fabric that would normally be thrown to the landfills. Sea makes this bikini with Econile, which is a fabric that's made out of recycled fishing nets that are being pulled out of the ocean. And I think it's great that we can save pollution by creating swimwear. I really love the brand Rupa House because they work with artisans in Indonesia. And this garment is all handmade and it's naturally dyed with plants. This is another grace-made piece that's made with dead stock fabrics, which, you know, it's in super limited edition, so you won't be able to get it after it's gone. Thanks everyone for checking out the Gallery L.A. showroom with me. I hope you're inspired to start your sustainable shopping journey. Use the Good On You app. It rates some of your favorite brands on how sustainable they are. You can also go to Swap Society and get into swapping clothes with your friends, family, strangers, and thanks again. Now back to you, Ebony.
0: All right, y'all, now usually this is the part of the show where I point you towards a resource that brings the episode home. But in honor of Women's History Month, I'm gonna bring this episode to a close by pointing you towards one of the most crucial resources here at Revolt Black News, and that is the women that make this show possible. I'm gonna say their names so y'all can put a face to the invaluable work that they do each and every week. Assistant Editor, Henny Basiri. Production Coordinator, Liza Villanueva. Associate Producer, J.D. Kearse. Assistant Writer, Jasmine Hardy. Producer, Courtney Neal. Production Manager, China Stalwart. Head of Content and Production, Sharice McKenzie. And last, but certainly never least, my fellow Executive Producer, Ms. Tiffany Watkins. I salute each and every one of these queens as they help me bring the heat and keep our people in the know. I love and respect you all very much. For Revolt Black News, I'm your host, Ebony K. Williams. See you next time.